I don't want to make any outstanding promises, but knowing that it was Budget Sunday, I cut out a lot of what I was going to say in preparation for Wade to have been more long-winded than he was. So you might get out early, but I could just talk slower. We'll see how I feel. Uh, as a, just to repeat something that Tucker shared, uh, I know many of you have been at West Irwin, some of you even longer than I've been alive. Uh, this has been your home church for your whole life. And if that's the case for you, then you know how long West Irwin has partnered with Eastern European Missions. Um, they became an organization back in 1961. And so probably not that year, but soon after, West Irwin began partnering with them. And this year, their goal, uh, throughout the years, they always had uh, EEM Sunday, I think. And we kind of got used to that. And then it became the, the million-dollar season. And um, this year, their goal is 800,000 Bibles. Throughout, and I know that that's still not as many as they would like to give out. I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that they've had requests for more than that. Uh, and you've heard over the years uh, all the different schools and places that those Bibles ha- are now no longer smuggled into countries like the Ukraine, but are brought there at the request of their governments. And so it's an amazing work that we continue to support. Um, their campaign this year is called the Hope Campaign, and if you want to visit eem.org, you can find out more about that. Donate directly there. Uh, we have always sent money to that as a church, and as Tucker said, Daryl Willis, who's right down here, has a table set up in the foyer. If you have not seen that, he will be there after uh, services this morning as well. Uh, Daryl has been with Eastern European Missions for a long time and ha- is just an immense book of knowledge on what they do. If you have any questions on where those uh, donations go on how that money is used. And so, Daryl, thank you for being with us this morning. We're glad that you're here and grateful for that, for that ministry. Um, for years, one of the uh, directors in Vienna and I have been very close friends. I knew him as Bart, but when he left Oklahoma City, he went back to his Polish name, uh, which is Bartosz. Uh, he is from Warsaw, Poland, and he is, at one point, was the executive director of the, Eastern, of the European point there of concern him and his wife Tamika and their kids are, are, are still there, still working with EEM, and uh, they hold a very, very special place in my heart. So, question. Five years from now, this is a, a question for you. Five years from now, do you expect your life to be as good, better, or worse than it is right now? The last part's kind of morbid, I realize, and probably that's not the hope or expectation. But this was a study posed by a man named Matthew Gallagher. He's a professor of clinical psychology at the University of Houston. 100,000 people in 100 countries were posed that question, good, better, or worse, over the next five years. And the study was specifically on the topic of hope. And what he found was that for the most part, there is a positive outlook on the future for most people, for the majority of people, that they thought their life would be in a better place five years from now than it was today. But what's interesting is his perspective on the study. As he talked about hope, I think his perception in the study of hope was a little bit different than maybe what we're used to. He didn't talk about hope as a value that is held by people. He didn't talk about it as an attitude. That we have. 
He referred to hope as a resource. He talked about it as the primary resource, in fact, by which people deal with anxiety or problems or issues or adversities that they face in life. So maybe you're familiar with the term our GNP here in this country. Politicians, economists talk about it. It is the gross national product of our country. So this morning, as we begin, take the last letter and let's change it to H. If you had to assess the gross national hope of our country here at the end of 2023, at this point in time in our history, how do we feel about things? Last couple of years have been a little rough. And at some point, we're going to have to quit using COVID as a crutch. Well, that was a a rough year. I'm like, a half a decade has almost come and gone. Like, this is what we got now. So how do we make the best? Because 2024 is a hop, skip, and a jump away of what we have in front of us. Because here's what happens when hope subsides. When hope gets less, we operate out of fear. We operate out of worry. We operate out of being disheartened. We operate out of despair out of desperation, out of self, and we look at a society that from a Christian perspective is broken and hurting. And I hear statements like this all the time. I don't know. I don't really care anymore. I'm done with that. I'm sick of that. And what ends up happening is as people, we just acquiesce to adversity. We give in and accept that this is how it's going to be because this is how it is now. And so we lose hope in an area of our life. We become a weakened and frail version of what God intended us to be. The consistency of hope being deferred and of hope being disappointed has taken a toll on our society. But here's the thing. Are we talking about hope when we say that or are we talking about what we wish for Because those two are not the same thing. There is a big difference. To hope is something that is grounded in possibility and probability. To actively hope in Christ is to live and to work with a confident view in the eternal that affects every event around us today. It is not just hoping and praying for life to end so that I can get there. It is the confidence of knowing that God is with us today, and so there is hope for today and not just tomorrow. We look at the scriptures, and that is the narrative that we see. In fact, I want to begin not with a scripture you're going to see on the screen, but with one that will come up a little bit later in Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5, beginning in verse 1, it says... Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, just as an aside, two weeks ago, you may remember the background on that slide if you were here, we talked about peace. We talked about shalom that has such a a rich, deeper meaning than just strictly the word peace. It is complete wholeness. It is perfect harmony. It's the Garden of Eden before the fall. It is original blessing before original sin. It is the restoration of all things back to their original intent. It is the peace of God that passes all understanding. This is verse 5. Peace with God 
Verse 2, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we also glory in our sufferings. Because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. In fact, the King James Version says it like this. Not that hope doesn't put us to shame, but that hope does not disappoint. Because God's love has been poured out in our hearts. We are not talking this morning about wish. We are talking about a confident hope that God will accomplish the things that he said he will. We can wish well for people around us. We can wish safe travels. We can wish good things. We can wish good, good blessings for people. But wish is not the same as hope. A wish is a feeling or an expression of a strong desire or a hope for something that probably cannot and probably will not happen. That's the Oxford definition put in English, regular English phrasing. A hope is a desire of some good accompanied by the expectation that it is obtainable. That's the Oxford Dictionary definition. Wishes most often don't happen, but hope is based on what is possible. So number one this morning, on your outlines if you're following those, is this, that hope is sparked in our souls. From the deepest part of who God created us to be, sometimes we need a scriptural key to unlock a statement. In Matthew chapter 19, verse 26, God says, With men, it's impossible. With men, it is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. Here's the way that John Maxwell stated about hope. He said, Where there is no hope for the future, future there is no power in the present. Where there is no hope for the future, there is no power from the present. So when we think about things like understanding human nature and the human psyche, it's not strictly from a theological perspective. It's also based on scientific truth that people do better with hope. All people. In his book, Hope Rising, J.D. Gwynn shares a story after people, and this is not from a Christian perspective, just to understand that. Overcoming adversity... When driven by hope, this is what he said. He said, in every published study of hope, every single one, hope is the best predictor of well-being compared to any other measure of trauma recovery. This finding is consistently corroborated with other published studies from top universities showing that hope is the best predictor of a life well-lived. I think about that statement for a second. If we lived without hope, not just hope for eternity, Hope for tomorrow. It's a pretty bleak outlook. And so it helps us understand the way our mind works that we wait, we hope for things. We wait for things that we look forward to things. We anticipate what is to come and what the future holds. But hope is so much bigger than that. Biblical hope. Because there is a difference between ordinary hope and theological hope. Ordinary hope is... is irascible passion. It's this aptitude or inclination to seek God. To seek good, sorry. It's, it's pleasurable. It's anticipation of fulfillment. But theological hope is, is like um, 
So I'm, I'm helping coach uh, Cade's uh, majors, little dribblers basketball team right now. And some of the kids have played for a long time, and some of them are learning the word dribble. So it's a distance you got to cover. And so you talk about taking a stance. You're trying to convince an 11-year-old or a 10-year-old to receive a charge. It is a stance that you take where you prepare yourself for what's going to come. And theological hope is a stance. It's a habit of will. It is a decision that we make. It is the divine infusion of the grace of God. Hope, when it's theological hope, is renewable life. It is hope that is alive. Peter talks about this in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. He says, Blessed be God and Father, our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope. Not a dead hope, not a hope for anything else other than a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. God desires for us to have new birth today, a living hope that comes from Him. Number two, as great as it is to talk about hope, there are challenges to hope. That's number two on your outline, challenges to hope. I had um, a, a friend of mine who shared their perspective of, of someone they're very close with. And I know that there's actually people that we know right now that are almost in this exact same spot. Um, but she lost her husband to stage four cancer. Um, 32 years old, four kids. And then two years later, lost her sister, who was single. And she gained two more children as a result of that. So now a single mom with six kids. Now to give you a little bit of her back backstory, she had grown up in church, attending church. But faith was for anybody but her. And as she found her way into the one of the most difficult seasons of her life. We always have two choices when we face hardship. We turn towards God or we run away as fast as we can. Rarely do we have apathy towards God. Even people who seem to not believe in him seem to still find a way to be mad at the being that they don't believe in, professing, even though they know deep down something is convincing of them otherwise. She took the other way. She began to seek out this relationship with Jesus that she had never had because she had no hope anywhere else. Every day seemed more hollow than the day before. Every day seemed harder than the day before. And she could not find hope anywhere else. So she turned toward the Lord. And she shared in talking about this that it was painstaking, it was brutal, it took her to the lowest point in her life when she lost her husband. And she had lost all hope. But in finding an actual relationship with Jesus that did not involve just boxing him in to one hour on Sunday morning, but a conversation she had all day long, a time of prayer that she shared with her kids as they left the car and as they got home, thanking God for the day that they had together, that it just in encompassed every aspect of her life. She was determined to live the way that God laid out for her. In Romans chapter 5, verse 3, we see not only that, 
but we rejoice in our sufferings. We just read this a moment ago. Knowing that suffering produces endurance. Hope comes oftentimes in the middle of an obstacle. But hope also doesn't mean that we, I'm hoping for this. Again, not wish. So we say that phrase. We're used to saying that phrase, I hope this for you. I hope that for you. And so it's a passive response. Like, I don't know, we're just going to roll the dice and see what happens. Maybe, maybe it'll work out for you, maybe it won't. Theological hope is active. It is not passive. Near the end of, of Psalms, there's a collection of poems called the Psalms of Ascent. And these are songs that would have been sung by the Israelites as they journeyed back to Israel. They would go back to give sacrifices at the temple. And they would sing these songs with a passionate desire and hope for the Messiah that had been promised to them. And so for just 15 seconds, this is not emotion-driven, so this is not manipulative at all. But I would, if, if you're willing, as I read a piece of Psalm chapter 130, I would ask you to just close your eyes. And imagine that that's you. Try to put yourself in the shoes of those we read about. Going back to offer your sacrifices to the Lord at the temple. I wait for the Lord. My whole being waits. And I put in his word my hope. I wait for the Lord more than the watchmen wait for the morning. More than the watchmen wait for the morning. Israel, put your hope in the Lord. For the Lord is unfailing in his love. And with him is full redemption. He will redeem all of Israel from their sins. You can open your eyes. So when you see this, it is expectant. It isn't wishful. I wait for the Lord like a watchman waits on the wall in the morning. It's that, this picture of moving back and forth. Watching and looking because they are expectant that they will see something. That something will happen. That there will be movement. He's searching. He's watching and waiting in this hope. In the Hebrew, the word that we see here is yahal, which simply means to hope. It's a word that is often used in farming, which I'm an expert in very few places. But cotton farming is one of them. And so we have in, in any, whether you have raised anything or whether you have killed a garden, you still can relate to what I'm about to share. There is a time for sowing and there is a time for reaping. And in the sowing season, there is work to be done while there is also waiting to be done at the same time. And there's a difference between passive waiting and active waiting. There's a difference between passive hope and active hope. We see this in Scripture. We see this in the Word. That a passive grower, a passive sower would come along and he would poke a hole in the soil. He would drop the seed in and then walk away and just sit down and see what happens. Active waiting is when the sower comes and takes the soil and turns it over and tills it, and then drops a seed in that soil, and then fertilizes the soil, and then adds water to that, and then watches to see what happens. Now, in neither scenario does the sower determine the destiny of the fruit, but there is a difference. In one, the destiny is in the seed, but that seed gets soaked with water and fertilizer and steps up and is active in its waiting period. This is our call as believers and followers of Jesus Christ, to be active in our hope. Hope is not 
dependent on us, but we do have a role to play within it. My grandfather was a farmer literally till the moment that he passed away in the seat of his tractor. My father farmed for 43 years and was, by the grace of God, able to just retire about two years ago, which most farmers never get that luxury of retirement. My mom got away from the farm for one year until her father drug my father into it. So he married into farming, but it was a good life for us. And farmers place a high value on work and a high value on weight because they know that no matter how hard you work, it's still dependent on the seed. But when we are waiting, we need to be active. The best way I ever heard that described is like this. Don't allow your wait, your period of waiting, W-A-I-T, to become your weight, W-E-I-G-H-T. Don't let that be the burden that brings you down, that presses you down. It means when we are waiting, we embrace it. Because why? Because patience produces perseverance. Because in the midst of suffering, we know that we are building this endurance within us. We allow perseverance to produce character, and character in turn produces hope. In Psalm chapter 130 that I just read to you, it talks about the night watchman being in anticipation for what is coming. In Psalm chapter 30, which is referenced in your outline, it says, For his anger is but for a moment, and his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes in the morning. There's a quote by Eugene Peterson at the bottom of of your outline, and it's just his perspective of hope rooted in Scripture. Hope is imagination put into the harness of faith. It is a willingness to let God do it his way and in his time. It is the opposite of making plans that we demand God put into effect, telling him how to do it and when to do it. This is not hoping in God, but bullying God. And then he comes back to Psalm chapter 130. My life is on the line before God, my Lord, watching and waiting till the morning. Expectant hope. Hope comes in the midst of obstacle. Hope is active in its waiting. And number three this morning, Jesus is the object of our hope. An expectation can fade over time, leaving us in the throes of disappointment. And disappointment always seems to be the enemy of hope. But what, what if disappointment instead was an emotional signal from our body telling us that what we are placing our hope in is the wrong thing? That instead of simply being robbing us of our feeling, it's actually instead challenging our unhealthy attachment to things of this world, to the idols around us, to reset where our hope is placed. Because our hope is in a person. The object of our hope is in a person. We read at the beginning, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, In his great mercy he has given us a new birth, and not just hope, but living hope through Jesus Christ. And in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23, the writer reminds us to hold unswervingly to the hope we professed. For he who promised that hope is faithful. Hope is Jesus. I talked about this briefly in my uh, young couples class this morning, but 
We talk about the, we often all go back to the deepest valleys, the darkest points in our life, where it feels like hope has left us, has vacated the building. But it's because we're placing our hope in the wrong place. It's not that Jesus has left. Maybe a person has left. Maybe an opportunity has left. Maybe a job has left. And we were placing our hope in that. That it would be what sustained us. That it would be what carried us. That it would be what we needed. But when our hope is squarely centered on the cross, it never goes away. So, how, how is that possible? And the answer is keeping our eyes on where our hope comes from. So two things as we close this morning, and then two questions I would encourage all of us to answer. It's very short and it's very simple, but you have to be very honest. Number one, where have you lost hope in your life? Where have you just said, I don't know, I'm going to close that door, I give up? Chances are we've had a relationship that, whether it's with a family member, someone that has deeply hurt us or wronged us, and we've given up any hope. So we've quit putting anything into that. We've, we've quit trying. This, this apathy that God could potentially heal something, could heal someone. Is there a place where you have lost hope? Because here's the thing. God doesn't call us to change anybody else. Our job is to be faithful to the calling that he has given to us. That reminder of where our hope belongs. So number one, where have you maybe lost hope in your life? But number two, where have you placed your hope? You've put it somewhere. We all have. I know I can just tell you. Uh, I, don't, I try not to reference my children very often, but I think we can all have a little grace for 11 and 12-year-olds. If you can't, shame on you. Because <laughs> you were 11 or 12 once also. I can tell you right now, their hope is in a ball that bounces and dribbles. That's going to be the ticket to don't know where, but success. And I remember feeling that way about a little white ball with dimples that I hit with a stick. And it took me to college, and then I lost that hope. I figured out I was never going to be on the PGA Tour. I wasn't even going to be on the top five of my college golf team for the majority of my tournaments. I don't know where your hope is, but if it's not strictly and solely at the foot of the cross, you will be disappointed. Your spouse will disappoint you. Your boss will disappoint you. Your children will disappoint you. Your parents will disappoint you. And you equally will disappoint all of them too. I've done it this week. I know for sure. Probably did it yesterday, if I'm being honest with myself. Our hope is not in any one particular place or in any one particular thing. It is in one particular person. So, if you haven't put your hope in Jesus, if you haven't given your life to the Lord, accepted the gift of Jesus' blood through baptism, or maybe you have, but you never really let go of your heart and gave it to Him, there is no better time than the present to make that the time where you place your hope in him. So if we can help you begin that journey or pray for you, encourage you in any way, won't you come while we stand and while we sing?